Well, it's so great to be together this morning. And uh, if we haven't met, my name is Dean, and it's, it's fantastic to have you here. Uh, we are, today is what we call Vision Sunday. And so if you're brand new here, what that means is you're going to get just a little bit of picture. Once a year, we like to kind of pause and just say, you know, we really believe like we're not just like a club here or something, like any other club. If you're new here, it's not just like, oh, some people who kind of get together because they have a common interest and, or something. Like that. No, no, we believe God has called us to be a church, his people in this world, and that he leads us and he guides us. And so today is about saying, okay, God, where are you leading us? Where are you taking us? As we think about the year ahead, 2020. How many people feel like the year is still just getting started? Just curious. How many people are like, no, I feel like this year has been like a long time. Like you're talking about starting. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. So we got about 50-50 here. And, uh, but here's what I want us, what we're going to think about today. Here's what I, I believe God wants. We're going to think about today. What does it look like to create the future? What does it look like to create the future? Now, I've got a, a, a photo here of what we thought the future might look like at one point. How many people know this photo? How many people got, you know, like we thought the future was going to be like flying cars, flying, you know, DeLoreans. I mean, I don't know. I, I'm having trouble keeping my car running on the ground right now. So I'm like a few steps off from a hover conversion. But, um, you know, I love this picture. And how many people like know, like you love Back to the Future movies, dig it? Come on, that's it. I love it right here. This is what it looks next generation. How old are you? 12 years old. I love that you're digging Back to the Future because... Uh, you were negative about 15 when this got made, I think, so I love it. But this was, you know, in 1989, we thought this is what the future will look like. It'll be flying cars and hoverboards and, and hoverboards without wheels, like real hovering hoverboards. And, you know, but here's, here's the thing about the future is, and I love this quote, that the best way to predict the future, if you want to know what the future is really going to look like, the best way to predict the future is to create it. And, and I heard that, that quote attributed, I've heard it attributed to Peter Drucker, who's a, a leadership guy. I've also heard it attributed to Abraham Lincoln. But I also heard attributed to Abraham Lincoln, don't believe everything you read on the internet. So I don't know who said it, so I'm not going to quote it. But, um, but I love this idea. The best way to predict the future is to create it. You know, it's 2020, people. We're living in 2020. At one point, this was the future. And the year 2020 just kind of makes you think about the future, but right now, what I think God wants us to do is to think about what is the future we are going to create. If you're somebody who says, you know what, True North, this is my tribe, these are my people, I'm part of this crew. Uh, what is the future we will create together? Whenever I think about and have kind of said, God, you know, what's your vision for us this year? Where are we going 2020? What I find God constantly saying is you've got to, like, lift your eyes up a little bit and don't just look at 2020. I want you to be thinking about 2030. When we think about our vision this year, we're actually going to be thinking not about 2020. We're going to think about 2030. What is the future going to look like? What is the future we will commit ourselves to? What is the future that you and I and together could create together and say, this is what we think the future could look like? Turn to the person that actually give them a high five and say, let's create the future. Let's do it. Give somebody a high five. Oh, no way. Say, that was like a trick. You're not supposed to high five anybody. But anyway, sorry. Sorry. What's the, you know what? We're going to believe for a healthy whole future, all right? So, um, but here's what I, I love us to just think about this morning. What's the future we're going to create? You know, I think 2020 is a special year because it's the start of a new decade. It's the beginning. 
And the beginning of something new is always kind of special. I saw this quote from Winnie the Pooh and Piglet. They were talking one day. Oh, I really did. And they were talking. And uh, Piglet said, when you wake up in the morning, Pooh, said Piglet at last, what's the first thing you say to yourself? What's for breakfast, said Pooh. What do you say, Piglet? I say, I wonder what's going to happen exciting today. And Pooh nodded thoughtfully and said, it's the same thing, you know. <laughs> and I love this idea because here's what I believe. Here's what I feel like. I mean, it's 2020, and I'm like, uh, the way I look at this year and the way I look at this decade, I just feel like what's going to happen that's exciting this next 10 years? I think the beginning of a day, breakfast, always. There's something kind of exciting, great about breakfast. One of my favorite quotes about breakfast is any day that begins with Maccas for breakfast is a good day. And that was myself. I say that a lot. And, um, and I, I know McDonald's is evil. But anyway, I just always feel like you don't have it a lot. But, man, you start the day with a sausage egg. You're like, this is not going to be a good day. It's going to be a good day, you know. Tuesdays don't usually start like that. Um, but anyway. I want you to think about what exciting things could happen. Imagine your own life right now. Imagine it 10 years from now. Like just like seriously, like picture yourself. How old will you be? Young will you be? How young will you be 10 years from now? How young will the people around you be? What things would you like to be 10 years from now looking back? What, ten, what kinds of things will you want to have been known for over that last decade? What will you wish you'd invested yourself into? What, what is the future you're going to create for yourself? You see, we all have, uh, one, of the, one of my favorite books I read last year is a book called The Three Laws of Performance. And the concept of the book that I love, they talk about in this book, there's always a default future that we are living into. You and I, right here today, there is a default future in front of you. For us as a church, there's a default future. And, and default does not mean inevitable, doesn't mean it has to happen, but it is the future that will happen unless you act upon it. The opposite of a default future is an intentional future. And that's what happens when you say, I'm not just going to let the future happen, I'm going to create the future. I'm going to begin to choose. I'm going to look forward and think about what I want to be known for. I'm going to look forward and say, what, what, what will I wish I'd invested my life into? I'm going to look forward and say, where do I want to be 10 years now? And I'm going to intentionally pursue that future. That's what it looks like to create the future. I want to encourage you in your own life. I, I think it's a good year. 2020, you know, don't even just think about what were your New Year's resolutions. Anything like, think about what do I want the next 10 years? I think moments like this, they're like breakfast in the day. They're just that moment to stop and go, what great and exciting things could be ahead? It's only the beginning of a new chapter. In your own life, begin to think about what you want the next 10 years to look like to be known for. And today what we're going to think about is how do we create the future together as a church? What's the future God has for us? And so we're going to think a bit about this as a people, as a tribe, as true north. Like what's that future look like? Here's the thing. As we think about vision and future... Uh, I think we should always go into it with great excitement and joy because we go, we have every reason to be confident and excited about the future. You know, the verses we're going to look at today come from Jesus' final words to his people. He gathered them. He'd risen from the dead. He gathers them on a mountain. He's about to ascend to heaven, and he gives them like these final parting words. And we're going to look at them today, Matthew chapter 20, verse 16. It says, Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus told them to go. 
And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Here's what I love. Imagine this. And we get the picture uh, across the scriptures that on this mountain, Jesus, a bunch of his followers have gathered. It includes the 11 disciples, his tight crew, but it includes this bigger crowd of people who've been following him. And so you kind of got this whole crew of people, a bit like we are today. And it tells us that they worship, they're like, Jesus, wow, we realize like who you are, son of God, and they're worshiping him. But there are also some who doubt him. What I love is this, is that in the crew of people who follow Jesus, there's always just room for everybody. I just love that there was room in this moment for people who were still doubting and having trouble. I want you to know no matter who, how new you are or, or where you feel like you sit with Jesus, he just welcomes everybody. He says, come on, come close. And then he says to the people, he gives them all, this whole crew of people, this is what he says to them, kind of final words he's going to give them. He says, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. He's like, you know, and if, if anybody missed it, if you're unclear about that, they've all now seen that he's risen from the dead. He's like, I got all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go. Let me hear you say go. Let me hear you say go with some oomph in you. Let me hear you say go. Go. He's like, go. Go. Make disciples of all nations. He's like, here's the future I want you to create. I want you to go to the whole of planet Earth. They couldn't even conceive of the world the way we conceive it today. And he's like, I just want you to go and I want you to just teach everybody ever, make disciples, teach them to be my followers. He says, I want you to baptize them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Baptism is this sign that like, yes, I've chosen to put my faith in Christ. And it's this outward declaration of that. So he's like, help people put their faith in me, trust in me, baptize them into new life. And then teach them to obey everything I've commanded you. He's like, this is the thing. I want you to teach people. Jesus has spent three years with his closest followers. He's been teaching them about life and where life is found and what it looks like to follow after Christ and how we live for him. And he says, I want you to now just teach everybody everywhere to do everything I taught you. Now think about this for a moment. Like a crew of people like us, you're on a mountain with Jesus, some people are like, I don't even know about it. I don't even know what's going on right now. Some are doubting. Some are like, whoa, it's Jesus. And you're all just like, and here we all are. This At the point in history, more or less, it was the only people everywhere who knew Christ. And he's like, okay, you are going to go to the entirety of the world. And you're going to teach people of every nation, all the culture groups everywhere across earth. You are going to now take this message and spread it. You're going to do it. You're going to go. What a... Like, what a vision of the future. How impossible it must have looked. But he says, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Now, here's what I just love about this, is thinking about the future that Jesus calls his people toward at this moment. He's like, this is what you're going to do. He says, go. And we're going to look at these three parts of it real quickly. The mission, we're going to look at the authority piece, the mission and the presence piece. Here's the cool thing about this. When Jesus says, go and make disciples of all nations, he starts with authority. He says, listen, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. So Jesus is saying, like, there is no power that's greater than me. There is nothing in this world that can stop me. Elsewhere, he says, I'm going to build my church. The gates of hell won't prevail against it. And he's just kind of, there, is no, there is nothing in this world that can stand up to Jesus. He conquered death to go, this is the last of all enemies. So if you thought... You thought putting me on a cross and, and me being buried in a tomb, maybe you thought that would be the final thing that way. He's like, no, it's all defeated. 
That's what Jesus means. All authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. And he says, so now go. Go. Can I tell you something? When we think about the future that God wants us to create, if all authority belongs to Jesus and he has said go, how then should we go into the future? Should we go afraid? Should we go timid? Should we go going, gee, I hope if maybe if we hunker down, we could kind of protect uh, ourselves and, and stay pure or clean till he comes back. No, we should go into the future bold for him. I love that Jesus, do you realize this? If you're a follower of Christ today, he has delegated his authority to you and he said, go. All authority is mine, but I'm not going to be the one who goes and does it. I'm sending you to go do it. I'm sending you to be my hands, to be my feet. Here's what I love about authority. If you're a follower of Christ trying to figure out, what does authority look like? How does this, how does this happen in my life? One of the best pictures, I had a friend who's in, in town, Martin Sanders. So you've heard him the uh, last couple of weeks. And when I used to be his PA uh, years and years ago, one of the things he did was he would give me his credit card. And in those days, in the old days, if you used a credit card, you had to sign a signature to it. And they didn't have keypads and click and go and all that stuff. And, uh, but he would tell me, he'd be like, no, here, take my card, go use it. I'm like, but you got to sign for it. He's like, no, I give you the authority to sign my signature. And he's like, just sit there, copy it, learn it. And, you know, when you take that card, just go use it. And, and you can use it anywhere. You know what that was? That was delegated authority. He's saying, I give you this card. The money's not yours. The power in this card is not yours. But I'm giving you the authority to use it and sign. You can sign for it. And so I would just, I was actually, I was thinking about the future. And so I, I actually set up in advance before they were ever invented automatic recurring things for like Netflix and Spotify. And no, just kidding. I, didn't, I, didn't, I wish I thought. But, um, but here's the thing, you know, and actually what I realized as well, because while he's home, I've been using his card. And I realized I can still sign his signature perfectly. It's just muscle memory. I don't even have to think about it. It's better than my signature. Here's the point. The point is not take someone else's card, and learn their signature. <laughs> the point is, though, when someone gives you authority, go use it. And what Jesus is saying is, like, you and me, I don't have any power to do anything that Jesus says. Jesus says, go, make disciples of all nations. Jesus says, go, heal the sick. You know, Jesus says, go, drive out demons. Go, do all these things. Guess what? The authority is not in us. It's in him. But he says, go into this world, and you sign it in Jesus' name, and you will take my church and my work forward. You will be my hands and my feet. I delegate my authority. All authority has been given to him. And he's like, and I give it to you, so go. So here's what I want to say to you this morning. As we go into the future as followers of Christ, of all people in this world, we should be the boldest. We should be the most confident of a great future that we're creating. Because we're going in Jesus' name. And all authority is his. You know one of the things that drives me crazy is when people look at the future and they just feel fearful about it. Oh, man, it's all going to be bad or it's all not going to happen. No. If you're a follower of Christ, we go into the future with his authority. And he goes, you know, go. Make disciples of all nations. And you and I are living testaments to what Jesus started on that mountaintop. The mission. We're going to talk about what it looks like to create the future. We have to be reminded that the mission Jesus has given us, it is the same. 
Whatever walk of life you're from, whatever your job, whatever your station in life, if you're in school, if you're working, if you're home, families, in all of these places, Jesus has sent us with a common mission to make disciples of all nations. That means all people everywhere we are to invite into knowing the greatest life of all, which is the life of knowing Christ. Following him, learning to obey everything he says. We are invited and we are to invite others into the greatest of all lives. And it has nothing to do with your occupation or station in life. As we go, one of the cool things about that word go, it actually says kind of as you go. In the exact kind of Greek translations, as you're going. In other words, you're going to go through life, I'm going to go through life. And what's common to all of us is as you go, make disciples along the way. Raise your family to know Christ. Pray for your friends to know Christ. Teach them, call them, invite them to be baptized and to follow Everything Jesus said, because it's the greatest of all lives. And we get promised this last piece here, his presence to go with us. That when we go into the future, we go knowing Jesus' presence is with us. Wherever we go, he is with us. So go boldly. Do you know, as a church, I want us to think about what is the future we will create. Let me tell you, I want to show you a uh, because I, I want you to both, one, grab this. Grab this for your own life. Grab this reality that the future of your, he invites you to be a part of creating the future of your life. Grab this for your own life and think about where, what do I want my life to look like and have been about 10 years? Grab that. Walk with his presence with you into, a, into the future that you will partner with him to create. And now what I want us to think about this morning is, what I think is so exciting is what does it look like as a tribe of people? We all gathered in this room today. What is the future he would have us create together? Because not only do each one of us have our life we're living out in him, together as a people, he has called us. He said, I'm going to build my church, the gates of hell will prevail. He's called us. He said, look, I want you to go. I want you to be a, not just individuals. I want you to be a people. And what's the future he would have us create as True North Church? What will True North look like in 2030? 2030. Let me tell you one thing. I'll still look the same because I'm ageless. And in Jesus' name, I'm going to, no, I'm just joking. That's not true. I'll probably look a little bit older. Ten years from now. But what's the future? What, can, here's, you know, I want you to wrap your mind around this for one second because this is important to get. When we think about as a church what the future will look like, I want to show you the default picture of the church. This comes from a, a McCrindle uh, research uh, which is the leading researcher in Australia. Here's what church attendance, people who engage in a church, this is what the past has looked like. Starts in 1950. This is the percentage of the population who go to church at least once a month. Look at 1950. In 1950, 44%, almost half of Australians would go to church uh, like we have today at least once a month. And now I want you to follow that line down to 2009, 15%. I think it's a little bit lower than that now. It hasn't uh, dropped. As, but here's what I want you to see. Wrap your mind around this just for one minute with me, okay? Because if we're going to understand Jesus' vision for the future, we just got to like look reality in the face and go, the default picture of church in 2030, what is it? The default future is not the preferred future, is it? But here's what I want us to get. We don't look at this and go, oh, geez, you know, and we don't throw our hands up and go, oh, man, that's so bad. What we do is say, okay, Lord, what is the future you want us to create? 
what do we think the future will look like in 2030 for the church, and how can we be a part of that? And what does that mean when we know, okay, wait a second, if all authority in heaven and on earth is not in the past, it's in Christ, what is the future he's going to want for us? And with that in mind, I want to ask three questions that I think we need to wrestle with this year. That if we want to create a different future, because imagine a future where starting in 2020, that whole thing starts going upward. How about that future? That's a future that's not just going to happen, but it's one we could choose to create, to lean into. To say, Lord, what would that actually look like and how would you call us? I'm going to ask you three questions that I think this is for us as a tribe, as a people. That here's what we're going to have to wrestle with if we want to see significant change in, in creating a different future. The first question is this. What is it going to look like to engage emerging generations? And we're going to keep on asking this, talking about it, thinking about it. But can I tell you something? We actually have to ask this. How are we going to reach emerging generations. Because the picture of the church in 2020 is actually that uh, it is overrepresented, even of people who are. You saw how far down it's gone. But then if you look within, who are the people who are engaged in church today? And this is, I'm just talking across Australia. This isn't necessarily our church in particular, but this is the church in Australia that we are a part of. The reality is the church is overrepresented by people uh, who are, are 50 and older. I've got a, a bar graph here you can look at. This helps a little bit. It's got two. Look at um, those two that are exactly the same, age 50 to 59. On this little chart, the red bar represents what percentage of Australia is these age groups. The blue bar represents what percentage of people who attend church are these ages. Those aged 50 to 59 are perfectly represented roughly in church life. There's about the same amount of people engaged in church as there are of this age group and culture. Now, if you go left, what you will see is every bar has more red than it does blue. What that tells you is these groups are underrepresented in church today. If you go to the right of the 50 to 59 group, you will see the blue bar is higher for every age group. What that tells you is just... There is a disproportionate representation of these age groups in the church today. Now, here's my point. It's not that one is better than the other or we should, you know, or, or one side matters and one doesn't. But my point is this, is that the future, we have to look and go, the reality today is we are not reaching younger generations. The default future of the church and what plenty of people say, this is something that will decline because it's, it's really something that's engaging more older people than younger. And 10 years from now, all these things will look a little bit different. And if this trend doesn't change, then that's a big challenge. So uh, all I say is how are we going to prioritize what it looks like to reach emerging generations? How are we going to? Shift the focus, the, the focus for all of us. Now, I am 42 years old right now. In 2030, I will be 52. How do I already begin to look and say, um, what does it mean to prioritize what it takes to reach the emerging generation? Those who are coming up. Now, check this out, because this is worth realizing as well. Now, if we're called to make disciples of all nations, to see people come to know Christ of all nations, all around the world... Look at this for a moment. This is a, an, a graph of, I'm just digging the graph. Say, I want you to, if we think about the future, I want you to just wrap your mind around where we're at. Look at this one on ages people have come to Christ. If you can identify a particular age, how old were you when you first became a Christian? Now, you'll see over on the right, 
when the bars start to get real small, that's 30 to 39, 2.3% of people who come to Christ do so when they're 30 to 39, 2%, 40 to 59, and 1.7%, 60 and older. In other words, now take all those other bars going to under five, 42% of those who do come to Christ, and if you're under five, realistically, you probably inherited your faith. They're called faith inheritors. You came from a family where you fostered faith. But what this shows you is 94% of people who choose to follow Christ make that decision before the age of 30. Just let that just sink for a moment. I don't have an answer to any of this. But I want you to just let this reality sink in. If 94% of people who make a decision to follow Christ do that before they turn 30, and Jesus has told us to try and bring as many people as we can to follow him, what should this tell us about how we have to begin to go on mission? And I would suggest to you it means we have to figure out what does it look like to say, how are we going to engage 30 and younger? 80% will make that decision by the age of 19. The older people get incredibly the less likely it is they come to follow Christ. Now, some of you come to Christ in your 20s, in your 30s, in your 40s, and your it happens. But what does it mean as a church to go, okay, how do we look this reality in the face? Because here's what happens. As we get older, we just tend to see the world not through the eyes of someone younger. We see it through our eyes. I mean, I, you know, we can't help it. And so we actually have to make an intentional decision. The default future is we'll keep on kind of, you know what, making things look the way we prefer them. We have to be intentional to say, actually, we're going to choose to focus on someone other than ourselves. Does that make sense? You know, one of the things that we're going to do uh, down this track, this is by, at best, a tip of the iceberg thing. You know, this is a tiny thing, so please don't confuse them. So we're like, hey, this will fix it. However, this is a small adjustment we're going to begin to make. I've got a photo of actually some TNY crew. Um, I, I want you to, to, you know, this group, I want you to wrap your mind around this even for a moment. Let's just say these kids are all 14. They're probably various ages around that. But let's just say they were all 14. In 2030, they are all 24 years old. Now, anybody in here have a four-year-old? Anyone have a four-year-old? Your four-year-old, Boston, Boston Clune, is going to be this kid's in 10 years, 14 years old. He's gonna look, this is 10 years is a critical span to be investing in that next generation. And if we want to see our four-year-olds end up, because what you see in this, you know what you see? You know what I see? I see a crew of young people enjoying being together. And one of the single greatest factors if we want to help emerging generations continue to follow Christ is helping them find peers and friendships that will help them journey faith well. If you're a parent, your greatest influence in your kids' lives is in their younger years. And by the time they reach adolescence, their peer group is a massive developmental factor. It doesn't mean parents are gone by any means, but their peer group is a massive developmental factor. How do we, and one of the greatest factors in faith that goes a distance is having some peers who encourage you and support you in a direction of following Christ. How do we create space so that this becomes a more normative reality for young people? You know, one small way we're doing this is we are going to, we are, we're making a change in our services. We're about to make a change in our services and two weeks from now, it's going to probably make life inconvenient for some of you. I guarantee it will. 
but one of the paradigms we're gonna try and break is not thinking about how does church work for those of us who are 30 and older, but actually how do we prioritize in lots of ways the younger generations as they come up? Because we want them to be following Christ when they are 30. So here's the change we're gonna make. Everybody who's 30 and older is gonna be over in the Compass Building. <laughs> Everybody who's 30 and under is gonna be in here. And I'm thankful I'm 25, so pretty excited. No, that's not really gonna happen, but wouldn't it be cool? Maybe we should, anyway. But we wanna break the paradigm. The church, this is not like church here, and that's just what the kids do. We've gotta figure out how do we think, no, this is making disciples of all nations and ages. And we're gonna start having company, we're gonna move our service times. Some of you are like, I'd rather just change locations, but <laughs> we are gonna do the impossible and change service times. And we are gonna shift our Sunday morning services to 8.30 and 10 o'clock. Here's what's gonna happen, is at our 10 o'clock service, we are gonna have our Compass Kids programs running. Our 8.30 service, in lots of ways, it's just an, it's an early option service. Um, if you're serving in Compass Kids or serving on other teams, it's gonna be a great way you can actually both serve and disciple younger generations and still come and, and be a part of this, the service over here. Um, but we're gonna do this, the thing that we're gonna do is no kids programs at it. Um, what we want to do is kids are able you know, uh, let me put it this way. My son Levi, he's nine years old. On Sunday morning, if I say, hey, we're, we're going to Compass Kids today, he doesn't go, what are they gonna teach me today? I'm so excited for what they might teach me. And he doesn't go, I can't, like, what verse do you think we'll look at? No, <laughs> I, I wish he did, okay, maybe that'd be great. I don't know, but to be honest, I'm not sure if I wish that was what he woke up saying, but you know, he does, ask and what every kid asks is who is going to be there? Who am I going to see? Will my friends be there? Church is not about like if we just do a program or a service or anything else good enough. It's about how do we foster connections, relationships. How do you be part of a tribe and crew? So we're going to do our service, our Compass Kids program at only one group so that kids have what they need in order to actually develop connections. You can't get to know someone if you see them sporadically over a period of time. But if you keep getting to know people, then actually you can foster some of those connections and friendships. It, and, and if you just try and drop a kid into at 14, it's a challenge sometimes to go, here, just come into this environment. And I hope you'll, like, we want to try and help kids of all ages just have those connections. So in two weeks, we're going to make that shift. The earlier service is going to be shorter. It's going to be 45 minutes. Um, and, it's, it's, and we're doing that because we're going to, prioritize getting also our Compass Kids workers out and ready and, and going, you know what, we, we've got to just start to think about things a little differently. Um, now, the, the, I want to give you two more questions today that we've got to ask. One is this. So we've got to look at how are we going to reach emerging generations. If we're going to create the future, we've also got to ask this question, new topic. What does engagement look like in the future? And when I say that, I mean... I don't mean like what's it look like to get engaged, get married. If you want to see what engagements look like nowadays, just go on uh, Instagram. They're very elaborate. People plan stuff. Like if you're like, if it, anybody else like over 40, just like quick show of hands. Like when people get engaged, it's like a TV show anyway. But um, just so you know. Um, but what does engaging with the church look like in the future? I grew up in an era, I still believe in this, where engaging with church meant you go and you are there and you worship God every Sunday. 
And I believe in that because I think actually God wired something into us that we are to be people who go and we work and we do our lives, but we have a rhythm of once a week stopping, pausing, and worshiping. I think that's how God designed us. I think it's just ideal. However, we know we live in a world where the just nature of, of work schedules, of time, of, of all kinds of things make that difficult for many. What does engagement look like? So the average person who does attend church tends to go about once a month. Guess what? How many people have one of these? Quick show of hands. How many people got one of these? Yep. Cool. And other people, it's like, I just don't raise my hand. Anyway. Um, <laughs> statistically speaking, you do have one. But uh, anyway. How many times a day do you reckon the average person touches one of these? Anybody know? 80. A little bit higher. Anybody else? 200. 2,100 times a day. It's the average. Much of that driven by younger generations, but you probably, I mean, just trying. The average is 2,100. Just, oh, and that's every, oh, what time is it? Oh, oh, how much longer can I preach? Oh, you know, at the, we're constantly touching them. Now, if we live in a world where especially younger emerging generations use that phone 2,100 times a day, if engagement with church looks like once a month, who's discipling who? And, and here's one thing we got to recognize. We're called to disciple all nations. Guess what? These things, screens, disciple. Like, and that is one of the things you have to understand. These are not neutral they disciple. And I'm not saying everything they do is bad, but my point is they disciple. They teach. They train. Right now they've taught people to touch them about 2,100 times a day. And, and we have to go, what does engagement look like in the future? And this isn't a, hey, I know. Let's all get rid of our technology and move to a little bit north of two rocks and start a new deal. You know, <laughs> That's not what this is. Not at all. It, but it is about going, how do we, what does it look like to engage people where they are as we go? You know, last year in July, we decided to have a bit of an experiment and just started creating some new content and put it on YouTube and going, you know what? We don't just engage on a Sunday. What if we started using YouTube a little bit? Do you know in the one month we just experimented trying some different things? Our downloads in that month went up by 1,500 in that four weeks. Now, you might not know this as well. For the year, the last year, we had 20,000 downloads of our podcast. Engagement looks like far more than just what happens on a Sunday. Being a part of a tribe looks like far more than just what happens on Sunday. Um, what does it look like to engage people? And it's not just tech, but we've got to work that out. We talk about this idea of being high tech and high touch. The church of the future is going to be high tech, but it also needs to be high touch. A guy named Leonard Sweet started talking about this 20 years ago. This is what the future needs to be. Because we both need to engage with and through technology, and we also need to be high touch. And high touch is what happens when you walk out of here, and instead of just going alone home or something, you grab a coffee and you stick around and you hang out and you have a chat with somebody. Like physical, human interaction. you got to foster that. How do we do that well? And here's my last question, and it's this question. Are we ready for more in the future? And we think about the future we're going to create. Are we ready for more? And, and the way you know you're ready for more, biblically speaking, is always God says, what are you doing with what you have already? I saw this um, movie. Has anybody seen the movie 2040? Anybody seen this? It's an Australian documentary. So this guy, you see him there, he's holding a tree. That's his daughter. She's about five years old. Um, and he decided to make this movie. And he's kind of going, what's the world, what's the future 
that my five-year-old daughter is going to live into. And she was going to be 25 years old in 2040. And so he makes this documentary, and his whole thing is, because we live in a world that's always telling us, well, the planet, it's all, it's all stuffed. Like, it's just, oh, it's so broken, can't be. And you get, what would happen in the future if we only weren't looking for, like, the new technology that will save us or the brand new solution, but actually, what if we just did everything that we've already invented, already know, we just started making all those changes? What if we did that? And it actually paints this kind of pretty beautiful picture of the future and what it could be. And it's not impossible. What it requires is just doing what we already have. Here's my invitation to us as a church. How do we just go, you know what, God? We want to see a new future. We want to create that future. A big part of it is just going, what? it's not like what's going to be the big thing that will fix it. What's going to be the one thing that if we just kind of know, it's going to be how do we just do what we're supposed to do? Make disciples of all nations. Love God. Love people. Gather regularly. Figure out how to teach people to obey everything that he said. Help people know you're going to walk with him. He's going to be with you through your whole life. How do we just do that? And ultimately, that is what will create the future. I want to invite you to stand. Would you stand with me? We're going to sing together in just a moment. What are we going to sing, Mel? No other name. Oh, we're going to sing no other name. And I want to encourage you to make this just a declaration this morning. I think we live in a world that is way too afraid of the future. And as followers of Christ, we should be the people who are going into that future boldly and confidently because we know there is no other name. All authority on heaven in heaven and on earth. It's all been given to him. And he tells you, not just me or some people on a stage, he tells you, so go. Go create the future. Go make disciples of all nations. And I wanna encourage you to do something just before we sing is just right where you are, begin to pray. Begin to pray for the next 10 years. Begin to pray for 2030. Begin to pray for younger generations. Begin to pray for a new future that is different than the default future. Begin to pray God would give you his heart for seeing people come to know Christ. Begin to pray for a generation younger than yourself, whatever that is. Just begin to pray and to begin to pray that his church will go forward and advance in this world. I want you to pray right where you are in just a moment. Pastor Michelle is gonna come and she's gonna wrap up with a prayer over us. Then we're gonna sing and I want you just to declare so boldly, there is no other name. It's where our hope where our trust comes from. But please, begin to pray. The church of the future will not be a spectator sport. It was never meant to be. And I want to encourage you just to begin to pray even now.